I wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with West Worship and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave for the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast. My name is Pete Berthod, and we're missing my co-host Robbie tonight. Got a last-second call. It's his daughter's birthday, and things are running a little long, but I do have a special guest with us, Mike McDaniel. You might know him from Sports Illustrated. You might know him from the Hokie Hoops pod, the Hokie Hangover pod, the Basketball Conference pod. He does it all. Mike, thanks for being on with us tonight, dude. Yeah, I was just talking to you about this before, and it has been a while since I've been on with you guys, and it's good to be back. Yeah, um, I was pretty excited. I, I heard from you uh, about a week ago, and I was like, yeah, this will be fun. Chop it up before football season, and it's right around the corner, man, mid-July. This is all really starting to heat up fast. ACC Media Days next week, so we're, it's, football's right around the corner. Mike has been doing this kind of stuff for a long time, so much so that when me and Robbie were still recording in Robbie's apartment, Mike came there and recorded with us. And so that that was about 2015 or maybe 2016. Yeah, it was a long time ago uh, in Arlington. So <laughs> 2015, it was right after um, it was actually my first week working my first full time job out of college. Yeah, you were the new the new graduate back then. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, well, while, why though. don't you take Robbie's place here and give us a cheers? Yeah, for sure. Um, Cheers to this podcast. You guys doing big things now. Join in Sons of Saturday. That was uh, big ups to you guys, obviously. And hey, man, it's cheers to football being right around the corner. Hell yeah. Cheers. So I just have a couple news and notes before we get to our opponent previews. We're doing the second half of the schedule we did last week with Sam Jesse. He was great. I'm sure Mike's going to. He's got to fill those shoes. I'm sure he's going to do a great job. But Mike, did you happen to see that Adam Brenneman interview this past week with Coach Pry? That hit the news feed. That hit, you know, all of YouTube and everything. I thought that was a great interview. It was. Um, immediately followed Adam, and now I've gone through. I started actually listening to other podcasts he's done too. He had one with James Franklin that was really good. Um, I it's it's just more of the same from Pry. You know what I mean? We're seeing it kind of. You know, he's still in sales mode. He talked about on the podcast with Adam, you know, um, anytime he gets to do an interview on a podcast, if it makes sense for his schedule, he's going to do it right. Mm -hmm. He's still in full time sales mode with the football program as he tries to rebuild. It was pretty clear from that podcast with Adam that, you know, the messaging is still the same recruiting, 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 recruiting. We see it's already starting to pay dividends, right? Which is huge. Um, but we just kind of see what prize about. And it's just so much different from the old staff, right? That oh kind of goes without yeah. saying. But it's kind of night and day in terms of selling the program, selling the culture. And 
kind of bringing Virginia Tech back to what they were under Beamer, where it was like, this is important for the entire state to be in on this program, right? Um, this is the most important football program in the state of Virginia again, right? That's his message. That's what that's what he wants. And I, I think it's really clear with every podcast he does, especially the one with Adam, you know, most recently that, you know, this is a message he's going to keep beating that drum, right? And I think it's really important that he continues to do that as he rebuilds the culture, rebuilds the program. Yeah, I, and it's so true. If you looked at what Ox put out on Twitter about just the commits from the state of Virginia and where they yeah. are in terms of being in the top 10, being in the top 15, as compared to just two years ago. And it's yeah. just such a stark difference. And we're going to get into the commitments because when we recorded last week, Keelan Adams' announcement was the next day. Well, he did yeah. choose the Hokies. It was kind of like the worst kept secret because once the crystal balls went, all Hokies fans started to be real confident. And that never happens with a high-end guy like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone thought he was going to South Carolina maybe a month ago. Well, he chose yeah. the Hokies. And top 200 guy, almost a 93 in the composite, one of our top 30-ish recruits ever at VT in the modern era. So big time get at a skill position. Uh, Couldn't be more excited to get another four star from, from Virginia beach. I mean, you're checking all the boxes here. And so that was huge. And then unlike maybe under the last regime, um, we kind of got a surprise commitment out of nowhere from Eric Mensa. I know he was talked about a little bit, but I don't even think a lot of the writers or bloggers knew that that was coming. Yeah, I, the Mensa commit was huge because I think Virginia Tech felt like they had a really good shot at Mensa, but also he didn't really announce when he was going to commit and nobody really had any idea kind of when that decision was going to come down, if the decision was even close. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you see Pry tweet out the bat signal and I'm like, okay, it can only be a handful of guys. And Mensa was kind of at the top of that list, but I was like, man, I feel like we would have heard something because while Mensa is not a four star. He is a high three. He is a giant human being. Right. And they're hard um, to get. The big boys are always hard to pull. Yeah. And it's it's a very different looking defensive line than from the the Bud Foster era of Virginia Tech, that's for sure. Things things are a little bit different on that side of the football now. Um but yeah, I mean it's a huge get. He he's he's a giant. Um obviously it's gonna be one of those guys who I think you know, looking at the position moving forward, you know, he's going to be a guy that probably projects as a starter down the line, but I think it's probably going to take a little bit of time, a little bit of development, but the raw tools are there. I mean, he's huge. The picture take a that on those guys. went with his commitment, he's wearing the football uniform, no pads in the leg pants, but like yeah. he's busting out of the leg pants. Like he, Tree his trunks. legs are huge. Tree trunks. Six three two ninety as a junior going into his senior year. So he's, we have had a lot of six foot defensive tackles over the years. This, this, this guy is already around 300 and six foot three. So that's really good news. Top 1000 guy. He's number eight, one, eight in the composite, but on two, four, seven, he's number 88 and a top 15 player in Virginia. And so if you trust two, four, sevens in-house ratings, he's really high. We beat out UVA, Maryland, West Virginia, BC, Duke, uh, a lot of regional programs that are important for us to beat out. So a lot of ACC schools, Pete. Like a lot of a lot of teams we play on a regular basis. So absolutely, real two more to win those battles. Two more Virginia kids in this class now. So we didn't have very many about a week and a half ago, but now we got a yeah. ton of, of kids from Virginia. And in the footprint, it's eleven of fourteen of our commitments are VA, Maryland, or North Carolina. And so yeah, big deal, big deal. We're pounding that, pounding that footprint. Um, a couple of it, uh, housekeeping things. Our YouTube channel. 
that's something that this podcast is going to get posted to. This is something that Two Deep didn't do in the past, but Billy and Pat they post all their podcasts. All you know, I, I'm assuming all the Hokey Hoops pods get posted, and so this is the new thing. You get to see us drink some beer, you get to see us smile and laugh, uh, and chop it up here. So make sure to subscribe to the Sons of Saturday YouTube channel. And this fall, there's actually going to be some really cool stuff happening with the channel. So make sure you're subscribed because you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Mike, are you ready to get into Wake Forest? This is the game yes, sir. after Florida State. We go down to Tallahassee, and then we come right back home. So we may, at this point, be licking our wounds a little. But Wake is yeah. – uh, they've been really good the last two years, right? And now there's no more Sam Hartman and maybe just a little bit of a step back for the Demon Deacons. Yeah, they they can be had, I think. Um, obviously, we know that Wake Forest is going to be really well coached. Um a couple things here, though, like Wake Forest is a program overall, smallest power five program, right? It's been pretty well documented. I think that matters more now that we're in this like NIL era. It's so important, right? That, you know, you kind of see Sam Hartman leave, go to Notre Dame, go to a bigger program. He's obviously like the big fish at left, right? But I think what Dave Colossin and his staff are going to be facing moving forward is as they continue to develop guys at a really high clip and develop really good players out of their program. I think they're going to be one of those prime targets for the bigger programs coming in, poaching some of their guys. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Something that I thought about when, you know, Sam Hartman left Wake, huge guy they need to replace, right? Mitch Griffiths, obvious candidate. Um, starting quarterback last year for the VMI game when Hartman was dealing with the blood clot issues at the beginning of the year. Threw for 288, three touchdowns. They were playing VMI, right? So sample size, very small. Yeah. Seems capable. Clawson. With that offense, you know you know they're going to throw the ball a ton. They lose At Perry to the NFL on the outside. They do return, you know, a strong group of receivers. Donovan Green heading him up. Taylor Marin has 17 career touchdowns. He's back in the mix. Justice Allison back at running back. So they do return a lot of talent. But the question for Wake Forest is number one: How big of a step back is Mitch Griffiths from Hartman? Because I think it's fair to say, given what Hartman was able to do over the last three years in particular. It's going to be a step back, even if Mitch Griffiths ends up being really good. You can't expect like a senior level no. Sam Hartman, right? To, to, <laughs> you can't expect Griffiths to step in and be as good as Hartman was a year ago as a senior, right? So, you know, that's that's the big question. And then the second biggest question is offensive line because their O-line was really, really bad last year. Hartman got killed a ton. Um, the Louisville game, when he had all the turnovers, that was like chief among them. It kind of started, it was beginning at the end for Wake Forest season. Um, they lose three starters up front on an already bad offensive line. So you got to replace those guys. You have a seventh year guy in Spencer Clapp, who's probably going to be in the in the starting rotation at offensive tackle. Um, Virginia Tech fans are familiar with like sixth and seventh year guys coming in and starting for the first time, like Tyrell Smith, which didn't really <laughs> right. work out. Um, Wake Forest has one of those guys now stepping on the offensive line. So it's still going to be a real a real big question. Um, but yeah, Pete, starting with the offense, there's plenty of talent coming back, but a lot to replace a quarterback and offensive line, which I mean, two biggest areas of an offense. Yeah, and he might be saved, Griffiths, that is, by the wide receivers because it yeah. is it's the second it's positioned second in the conference, their wide receiver room. Like it's ahead yeah. of, I think it's ahead of Clemson. It's just behind Florida state for second in the conference because three of those guys, Banks, Green and Morin, they're all on the all ACC team, according to Athlon preseason. So yeah. they have talent on the outside. It's a question of is Griffiths this guy? And 
you were talking earlier about them getting poached by the bigger programs. It wasn't just Sam Hartman. They lost a 500 yard rusher to Indiana. They lost their yeah. one of their best defensive linemen to OU. They lost one of their best DBs to Texas. So they are going to rely heavily on building from within what, what they've always done, but now it's going to have to even go a step further because they can't just count on the AT Perry's to always come back. You know, they're, they're going to, they're going to keep losing these guys, but if anyone can do it, it's Clawson in terms of their defense, not many starters back, but the two, mm-hmm. two of the ones that are back play safety. So their back end yeah. should be solid. They're 73rd in the SP plus after spring. So it's in the back half of FBS again. Yeah. They haven't been a good defense the last couple of years. They managed to get us, what was it, two or three years ago with the three interceptions from that one kid. Um, but typically, when you go up against Wake, you're not dealing with a great defense. And so no. 99th in pass efficiency against last year. Uh, better against in rush average, but people were just passing all over them. Outside of Jasheen Davis, who had 13 tackles for loss last year, the DL is a little bit weak and um, like I mentioned the safeties, but there's not a, there's not a whole lot else. I mean, the, the CB Slocum and, and Carson, they're solid, but again, I think you're going to be able to pass on this team. And for us, a team with a weak offensive line, this is one of the better upfront matchups we're going to have. Yeah. I mean, I I think if you're looking, you know, 10,000 foot view in a game back half of the schedule, you're thinking, okay, Virginia Tech's defense probably coming into its own a little bit with so many starters back on that side of the football going up against a weak Wake Forest offensive line. Now, of course, Wake Forest offensive line, they'll have five or six games in front of them as well that, you know, get better, develop, gel. But yeah, this this is a good matchup for Virginia Tech because I, I think Virginia Tech's strength on defense is definitely on the defensive line. Um, they got a lot, <laughs> we got a lot of a lot of veteran leadership back, especially on the interior. Uh, I think it's a really good matchup up front for Virginia Tech. Um, How about the matchup with like our best position on defense with the DBs being their best position on offense? I felt like that's going to help us out a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I I think the thing, too, is like Virginia Tech getting after the quarterback is going to be crucial in this football game because, like you mentioned, having a strong secondary going up against a strong wide receiving core the great equalizer is, okay, are you going to be able to get after the passer? And this is a matchup where I think Virginia Tech will be able to get after the passer. Of course, run defense is going to be real crucial. You mentioned Christian Turner transferring out of the program, going to Indiana. They do have Justice Allison back at running back. DeMond Claiborne played a bit last year. Um, he, he's, he was a big-time recruit for Wake Forest when he committed, um, but he's back. He's kind of like that, that home run threat at running back for them. So they still got plenty of talent, but I think from a matchup standpoint, I'm in total agreement with you. Um, as far as a strength on strength thing defensively against kind of their, their wide receiving core, I think the great equalizers pass rush. I think tech will be able to get after the passer in this game. I think it's going to be crucial. Um, and wake Forest, I think, you know, more than recent years can be had, like this is the year to get them because I think in a year or two Griffiths will be a little bit better developed. I think the offensive line will be better. They'll lose some stuff at receiver, but I mean, they, they the personnel, it's kind of personnel agnostic at this point, the skill positions for Wade. It is. They're, they're so going to well have wide receivers and they're going to have yeah. a running back that just runs for, you know, six, eight, 900 yards, something like that. That yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like their season, it really could go, if their offensive line plays really well and Griffiths yeah. is, you know, 130, 140 passer rating, they could have a great season. Oh, but yeah. 
that just both of those things happening seem unlikely to me. So I'm thinking they're going to come in closer to that seven and five that they're getting projected at. And this will be a winnable game at home. Uh, the, the interesting thing about this is we're coming off the FSU game. They're coming off the Clemson yeah. game. And so yeah. we're both got basically it's going to be two body bag, <laughs> body bag theory games or whatever you call it, yeah. a body blow that the solid yeah. verbal came up with and who can respond after, you know, facing both of those tough teams better. And, uh, but this is one I'm kind of marking down as, as one we got to kind of win. Like we get, if we, yeah. if we want to make a bowl, we got to kind of yeah. win this one. I was going to say, like, there are a handful of 50-50 games on the schedule. Actually, not even more, not even a handful. <laughs> a lot of 50-50 lot. games on the yeah. schedule. This is this is up there, right? This is, like, kind of one you have to have against a team that, you know, the last few years has certainly been a lot better than you, right? But I think this year, you you know, with, with the strengths of the defense and, and from a matchup standpoint, this is, I think, the best shot Virginia Tech's going to have at Wake in a while. So, um, especially at home, I think this is one you absolutely have to have to make a bowl game. All right, let's move on to Syracuse. Thursday nighter in lane, 7.30 p.m. on 10.26. I, I'm actually looking forward to this game. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it down, but, you know, Thursday night in lane, we finally get to repay Syracuse for all those horrible Carrier Dome games by getting it on our best home turf advantage. Syracuse had a kind of a funny year last year. They, they started off amazing. I think they won their first six games on a week out of conference schedule. Came back down to earth, lost six of their last seven. But going into this season, if you look at their FPI, it's 34th, which would be fifth in the conference. And then if you move to Athlon, it's it's 56, more more of an area you'd think they're going to come in at. And the projected record is seven and five. So another seven and five team, uh, another one of those games that it could go either way, but we're at home again. So, you know, depending on how this matchup plays out, we're going to talk about in a second it's another one that we should have a chance to win. Um, their best. Actually, I'll let you go on this. What do you think about Schrader as a quarterback? I think Schrader definitely benefited from Robert and I's coaching um, yep. with him gone and Jason Beck promoted. Jason Beck is a capable coach, right? As full-time offensive coordinator. He's not Robert and I though. So Schrader, it, he's an interesting quarterback because it's clear he's a good runner. It's clear he's a capable passer, but guys need to be schemed open, right? There are a lot of quarterbacks in college football kind of fit in that box where guys really need to be schemed open for a quarterback to have success. Like he is one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not like uh, he's a bona fide, like four-star type passer. He's just simply not, but he's accurate enough if guys are open. And that's a big question is moving on from Robert and I, who goes to NC State, we'll talk about him in a bit. But you promote Jason Beck, and what does the offense look like now? Sean Tucker's gone. You don't really have that steady running game to rely on. Um, but now you're probably going to throw the ball more than you have um, in the past. The reason why I say that, again, small sample size, but Jason Beck was the offensive coordinator in the bowl game, in the pinstripe bowl. Um, and you kind of look at Schrader's numbers there. He threw the ball 51 times. That was 15 more than his career high. That's a lot of so, times for Schrader. <laughs> He threw the ball a ton, and he's not really the type of quarterback who I would love having the ball in his hands 51 times to throw. Uh, But, I mean, if that's any indication of what this offense is going to look like moving forward, it's going to be a lot different for Syracuse this year. Um, More air raid, less, like, balance on the offense. And that doesn't, to me, that doesn't play to Schrader's strengths. Like, he is so good with the football in his hands running that yeah. it's it's that Eric Dungy, that old fear of Syracuse, that Dino Baber's offense, where the threat of the quarterback running, even if it's not, 
you know, a super fast guy is always there. And Schrader's got good size and he proved over the years, like he can really run the football well. Um, yeah. Losing Tucker, I think is, is the biggest thing because that was a really good running back who was running behind a terrible offensive line and still yeah. managed to do pretty well. Um, and they don't have that anymore. And so now, yeah, you got Allen that's going to take over for Tucker. Good for a true freshman, but less than 300 yards. Yeah. A nice a nice average on the fill-in kind of stuff. But uh, Gadsden is good at wide receiver. Schrader's going to have a weapon Later. there. But th- their top receiver is a tight end. You know, they, they, don't, yeah. they don't have like the serious skill weapons this season. And so no, with, they don't. With this change going away from an eye, no more Tucker, Schrader maybe throwing it more like, this plays into our hands because their offensive line's got not getting much better. And I, I like, I love that matchup. I think this is where our defense, which is going to be the strength of our team can really shine in a game like this on a Thursday night with a loud crowd. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're huge at receiver, but they're inexperienced at receiver, right? Like if you count Gadsden, which I mean, Gadsden's basically a wide yeah. receiver. Um, they got three guys, they're projected starters, six, five or taller. Um, Damian Alford, Isaiah Jones, Isaiah Jones. Alford is really good. Like, he's good. Isaiah Jones is more of an unknown. He was injured in September last year. He was supposed to have a big role. Didn't play a ton, obviously, because he got hurt, missed the rest of the year. So he's more of an unknown. But I mean, if they have three guys out there in October, six foot five or taller, um, that'll be interesting to see how, you know, Virginia Tech combats that, right? Three big bodied receivers. Gadsden is an all-American type tight end. He's really, really good. He's certainly a, a first-team all-conference tight end. Um, you know, might be tough when. Yeah, he had almost a thousand like, yards last year. He was really good. He set the school record for receiving yards by a tight end with almost 970 yards. So, really, really good player. And you know, I, it's it's tough because there were a lot of really good tight ends in college football, like headlined by Brock Bowers, but you're not going very far down the list before you come to Gadsden at tight end. So, I mean, a really, really good player. And we've you shown Allen. weaknesses against tight ends in the past. Now it wasn't Chris Marv. It was kind of yeah. like Tommy Sweeney comes to mind, you know, like just mm-hmm. those games where a tight end starts getting loose on us and, and it's ugly, but uh, I, I still would, I like the matchup from just, I'll take my chances with, one good tight end and maybe a couple unknowns yeah. at wide receiver rather than what Wake Forest is putting out there. Right. And and this is kind of what Syracuse has been the last few years, right? They've been, it's been Schrader, it's been Tucker, and it's been like a pop pass to a tight end, right? Mm-hmm. Or like one guy killing him on the outside. Like that's been Syracuse's offense. Now, will I think it look a little bit different now with Jason Beck? Yes, I do. Like, I think the offense will look different, especially if you're going to have Schrader throwing the ball 50 plus times. Um, it's going to be a little bit different offensively, schematically. But as far as kind of what Syracuse has been of late, like, I think the focus is going to be on trying to establish the run still with LaQuint Allen. Like, he's not Tucker, but he looked good in the bowl game, mm-hmm. ran for 103 yards, had 70 yards receiving out of the backfield. Like, he looked pretty good in the bowl game. So, it's going to be a, a versatile threat at running back that they haven't had. Tucker was really good between the tackles, wasn't really versatile outside the tackles, right, as the pass catcher. So a little bit different element to the offense there. Um, defensively, Syracuse loses three all-conference defensive backs. Like, that's hard to replace. Jihad Carter, right? Um, like, the guy that right. was committed to the Hokies at one point. Yeah, exactly. Like, sorry, Tech fans, right? That's a killer. <laughs> but uh, um, he ended up being a really good player at Syracuse. He's gone. But Syracuse returned seven full-time starters. They had a lot of young guys last year who got playing time because of injuries and whatnot. Um, so they'll be back. They'll be better. 
their defensive coordinator. He goes to Nebraska. They bring in Rocky Long, who's like the grandfather of the three three five defense. Yep. He's had an unbelievable career. You know, longtime coach in New Mexico, outstanding career. He comes in. I don't think Syracuse's defense is really going to miss a beat. To be honest with you, even though they're, they're replacing a coordinator there, because Long is just such a good coach. But there is a little bit of adjustment period, right? And I think losing three all conference defensive backs makes it a game where whoever the quarterback is for tech is going to have opportunities vertically down the field, even against a, a pretty good front seven, or in this case, a front eight um, for Syracuse. So can it's I point out matchup. I want to point out just like a little bit of a statistical quirk last year, they were 16th in yards per play on defense. They were a very solid defense. It was one of the reasons yep. they got off to that amazing start, Yep. but the schedule wasn't very tough. The mm-hmm. offenses that they played, weren't very tough. I mean, it was a lot of ACC offenses, but in general, they're 73rd in the SP plus after spring. And I know they lost some guys, but yeah. that indicates to me, like maybe what they played last year wasn't so good. And this year it, it, it's not going to be as dominant as it was. They were 40th in sacks per game. They got off after the quarterback, pretty good. Their top tacklers back, their top defensive lineman is back, but they are missing those guys. I said they lost to the portal to P five programs. So while their linebacker, I think is their best unit with all that experience. Um, it, there's, there's some holes here. I mean, there, there's definitely some holes in the back. Uh, but you're right. It'll, it'll be good. I don't buy the 73rd. Like, I think that's too low. That's why I didn't jive with the 16th last year. It's probably somewhere in between probably around, you know, 60th, 50th best defense in the country. But our offensive line again, needs to step up in this game because this is one of this isn't even close to the best D lines we're going to talk about in, in a couple minutes here. We have Florida State prior to the weight game, but like there's some yeah. other ones down on this list that are really good. And so yeah. if you're going to push someone around, it, it might have to be Syracuse on Thursday night because it doesn't get any easier. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, and I mean, this is kind of the the back to back weeks where you know you're you look at the Wake Forest game, you look at Syracuse. Like these are some defensive lines that can probably be had, right? So it'll be interesting. Um, it's Syracuse is one of those teams where you're kind of searching for another team to step up, right? I think the two surest things in the ACC are obviously Florida State and Clemson, but I think there's obviously like a huge gap and there's really everybody else. Mm -hmm. Syracuse is one of those teams where if you kind of look what they did in the first half of the schedule last year, yes, very soft schedule, but you have to get off to a 6-0 start if you're Dino Babers trying to save your job. He did that. They go to a bowl game. They finish 7-5. He needs another strong start this year. Like, I don't think he's out of the woods yet. And he's made the right hires, I think, you know, promoting Beck from within and bringing Rocky Long. I think he's made the right hires around him. So I do like his chances to kind of keep his job and keep this thing moving forward. But like Syracuse is one of those teams that is got some holes and it's kind of one of the great unknowns in the ACC this year. I think several of the teams we talk about tonight are definitely in that list. You got to make Schrader beat you with his arm in this game. Because don't let them yeah. run wild. Like if, if we can force them by maybe getting up early, maybe getting a couple turnovers or just keying on the run, make Schrader beat you yeah. with his arm. Because I feel like our, the chances of then scoring point, a ton of points doing that are not high. If you, if he starts running and then the running backs get involved, it could be a really long night. Like that's not the kind of game I want to get into. So let's, let's shut down the run and win this one at home. Agree. At Louisville, 11-4. Let's move on to the next game. Yeah. Going to Louisville is not ideal. But the thing about Louisville this year, ultimate unknown. You got new coach coming in. A lot of people love Jeff Brom. They think he's going to be the guy who rebuilds Louisville back into kind of a power. Um, his his record at Purdue was 
average, but it's Purdue. And so that's the great caveat there. He was just over 500 in conference. I think he was one game over 500, but people are high on Louisville this year because they hit the portal super hard. Um, Number one in the country in terms of the net rating on, on three. So they just brought, they lost a lot, but they also brought in so many guys in the portal, including their starting quarterback. Yeah. So Jack Plummer is a projected starter. He was with Brom at Purdue. Then he lost a job to Aiden O'Connell. He transfers to Cal and now he's back with Brom at Louisville. So kind of this roundabout way to get back to the coach who replaced you. Right. But now I think his starting job is pretty much set in stone. I mean, I think he has a really good opportunity here. Um, based on what Louisville had last year when Cunningham was in the lineup, uh, Brock Doman just was not getting the job done. I think Jack Plummer is a clear upgrade there. And this is a really intriguing team, right? Because you're looking for like, who's that third, who's the third best team in the ACC going to be. And I think Louisville's a candidate, but I think a lot of, I think a lot of media folks are overrating Louisville a little bit because number one, you, you mentioned the portal, right? You mentioned the love affair with Brom, which look, I think it's justified because Purdue is a tough place to recruit to. You're in the Big Ten. You're a clear bottom feeder, not bottom feeder, but you're you're a clear step behind some of the top programs of the Big Ten now. Brom did a pretty nice job there overall. They right? won the division and, last year, right? And I think Brom also, from a media standpoint, I, I don't want to like to totally sidetrack us, but Brom had an opportunity, obviously, to come to Louisville before Satterfield, right? And he was a guy who was considered Louisville really wanted him. He was a finalist for the job. He decided to stay at Purdue. Right. And kind of weigh it out. He'd only been there a year. He wanted to kind of finish the job and get that rebuild underway at Purdue. I think he earned a lot of goodwill in the industry by doing that, Pete, because, you know, there's a lot of respect for somebody who doesn't go back, doesn't jump at the first, you know, great opportunity. And this was his alma mater, too, no less to not jump at that opportunity when he had the chance to kind of finish what he started at Purdue, get them back on good footing in the Big Ten, be a bowl team like he accomplished all those things. And then Louisville came back open. Now, of course, it's like a natural transition. This is the job that he's always wanted. He wanted it, you know, four or five years ago. Didn't take it, weighed it out, comes back in. He's got the track record of rebuilding Purdue. He built up a lot of goodwill doing that, Pete. And, yeah, I, and I think I, that I, can't really I totally go agree because a lot of guys would have jumped the first time. And he he built Purdue into having one of their best seasons of the past 30 years. And so right. he gets a lot of credit for that. That being yeah. said, his conference record isn't much different than Justin Fuente. In right. just, I know the Coastal is a little bit worse than the Big Ten West, but maybe not that much. Like not much, not much. And though. so it's right. not like he was in the Big Ten East. He is a good coach, and I think he's going to do well for Louisville. And I will say this: Louisville made out like gangbusters. Satter, uh, Satterfield leaving that job. Oh yeah. I mean, he was yeah. he was going to get canned anyway. Maybe Clear not this winner. year, but next year. And Clear he bailed winner. them out by leaving for Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati downgraded big time, <laughs> losing yeah, Fickle uh, and yes. hiring Satterfield. And Louisville upgraded. And so in that respect, yeah, I'm all for it. Do I think he's an elite coach in college football? I don't. I think he's a good right. coach. And this crazy turnover that they're dealing with this year at the quarterback, at stud wide receiver Jamari Thrash. They got a new senior offensive tackle that just came in from Purdue. Storm Duck, Cam Kelly, some names we know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot of adjustment. It's a lot of installation, changing the offense, changing the defense, all this kind of stuff. So I think later in the year, and that unfortunately is when we're playing them, they could be on a really good track. But early on, I think Louisville could struggle a bit. 
I don't know if I like them. You know, if the over unders eight, like I at best, I think it's a push. Like I think they'll leave that alone. They're yeah, yeah. they're going to struggle uh, a bit, in my opinion. Jack Plummer, you said he came from Cal. He was solid for them. 131 passer rating, 21 TDs, nine INTs, but 85th national. Saved Wilcox's job, Pete. He saved Justin Wilcox's job. You know, (laughs) who was a defensive guy, right? Like that's right. So getting a quarterback who can actually play a little, uh, even if it is just above par, was good. But 85th nationally in QBR is, it's it's meh. Like his efficiency in that regard wasn't so good. But he and he's played in 33 college games, so I don't think reuniting with Brom is all of a sudden going to make him an all ACC quarterback. I think he is what he is. He'll probably if Brom's offense does what it does, it'll be 3,000 yards, some nice yep. touchdown numbers, but it's not going to be electric. Uh, Thrash was a really nice pickup in the in the portal, though. I mean, he that that kid was 11th nationally in receiving yards per game last year. I think it was at Georgia State. Um, was. And then yep. Amari Huggins Bruce returns for them too. <laughs> so they got some good talent on the outside there. And their offensive line has an all ACC candidate. Do, do you know that guy's name? Uh, I do. Brian Hudson. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. A former Hokie, but the offensive line is going to be good. It's one of the, it's one of the best offensive lines, I think in the ACC this year, probably right in the middle of the pack, but certainly better than ours and certainly better than a couple of the ones we just looked at. So they're going to be able to move the ball with Jordan at running back, those wide receivers and a, and a solid quarterback. How about uh, Kevin Coleman transferring in from Jackson state? He was the second best recruit at Jackson state under Deion Sanders, right? Um, to Travis Hunter, right? Two years ago. The names, so. the names of the transfers is just endless. Like it's like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. There's so many of. There's literally 25 of them. Their class as a whole, because they had a small commit class by comparison, but it was 16 high school commits, 25. So you're talking about 41 new guys into the program. Like on if it's 125, including walk-ons, that, that's a third of it, man. Like that, and half yeah. of the scholarship guys. Yeah, and I'll always root for Amari Huggins-Bruce. I wanted Tech to get him so bad a couple of years ago. I was dying for them to get Amari Huggins-Bruce. Yeah, Loved him player. as a recruit. Um, he's turned out to be a pretty good player for them at Louisville. I think he would have been great at Tech. Um, but yeah, they, they have a good wide receiver room despite the turnover. Um, Chris Bell, who showed some flashes as a freshman, coming back as a sophomore, a pretty good player. Um, but I mean, yeah, Jamari Thrash is kind of the highlight there, right? Coming in, 1,000-yard receiver at Georgia State all-conference type player, really, really good. Do you think that Jamari Thrash, or I'm sorry to interrupt you, is Jamari Thrash or Ali Jennings like a better get? Because they're, I mean, both played on G5 programs that were pretty solid. I think they're both in the Sun Belt, correct? So uh, it's, and Thrash had a little bit more numbers, but I think ODU's quarterback was terrible. And so for Jennings to put up those numbers, I thought was super impressive, but like they're neck and neck. They're both really good players. They're equally as important because they're going to teams that really need the playmaking desperately at receiver, mm-hmm. right? Like Louisville lost a ton in the receiver room. They lost a ton at quarterback. Um, now that you have Thrash coming in, that's obviously a, a really intriguing transfer. And then Virginia Tech's case, right? Grant Wells or whoever whoever the quarterback ends up being, right? If it's Drones, whoever. He was completely devoid of, of talent mm-hmm. anywhere last year, right? I mean, it was basically Caleb Smith, and that was it. And Caleb Smith... I really liked Caleb Smith. I think he was a good possession receiver for Virginia Tech, but he wasn't a number one, and he was pushed into that role, right? But now you have a guy like Allie Jennings out there. Um, Tech's going to have some playmakers on offense that they haven't had. I think you know whoever the quarterback ends up being, if it does end up being Grant Wells, 
at least he's more set up for success now, second year in the system, better guys around him. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And Jennings obviously highlighting that group. Sorry to sidetrack you. Let's go to the defense for Louisville. Yes. Uh, 20th in the SP plus after spring. So this is looking to be a very good unit. They led the nation in sacks per game last year. That's something I, yeah. I didn't know before I looked it up. It was them and then Pitt. In fact, if you looked at the top 15 sacks per game, it was like seven ACC teams. You want to know why? Because the ACC had horrible offensive lines last year yeah. and every other ACC team defense was racking up sacks. But 50 total sacks for Louisville last year. Um, not many teams get to 50 sacks in a season. So that was that was pretty impressive. Uh, but it will be a new look with English and Hagen sharing the defensive duties. Those are two Purdue guys that came along uh, with with Brom. It's a funky kind of a 4-2-5. They have a Leo position. They have a star position. Um, but it, it's sta- a standard defense in nature, just some, some weird nomenclature. Uh, the, the upfront talent is, is very good. Ashton, was it Gillette? Six sacks yep. last year and tell three sacks, multiple DTs. They can rotate. I mean, this line is going to be a problem for, for ROL. Oh, for sure. And I mean, thankfully Louisville does not return Yaya Diaby or Yasir Abdullah 18 and a half of those 50 sacks came from those two mm. guys they're gone right so I mean that's uh, if you're looking for a positive silver lining if you're a Virginia Tech fan that would be it you don't have to go up against those two guys um but they added a ton of talent right in the transfer portal they have a bunch of talent returning up front um added six p5 transfers a defensive back so uh braum wasted no time making sure the defensive backfield was replenished right it's With guys so loaded have, it's crazy they're they got guys they they got talent they got depth um their starters are gonna be really good this is gonna be a tough defense um a, a tougher matchup for virginia tech i think when you just kind of look at it at, at the point in the schedule it's going to be in um getting it later in the season i think your point about you know, when Tech draws Louisville was a really good one um, because, yeah, I expect Virginia Tech to be kind of further along right in October, November, obviously, than what they might look like in that weird September non-conference schedule they have this year. Um, but I, I think drawing Louisville earlier in the conference slate would have uh, led to a better outlook in this game. Not to say Tech can't win this game, but this would look a lot better earlier in the year than when tech yeah. is getting them now. And at home, if that were the case. Yeah, and at but home. Going, yeah, going no into Louisville in November uh, with a defense that they have, like it, it's not good. I will say this on special teams wise. Louisville lost their very good kicker to Michigan mm-hmm. after spring practice, something that the magazines didn't factor into some of their projections. Yep. So that if it comes down to a leg, hey, maybe we have an advantage. Um, but yeah, agree. I wish we were getting them earlier in the year. Uh, the pass game will be very hard for us in this one. Their 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 DBs are are good. They could be elite in the back end. Uh, we're gonna have to find the holes in the linebacking core because and exploit yeah. some mismatches because the D line and the and the back end is good. Plumber though is average. If we can put him under some pressure, we could end up having a chance in this game. I am this is penciling in as a loss for me on on my predictions, but uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like Louisville. It, they could take super long to gel, have problems. Maybe these all these transfers, exactly what we're thinking, don't gel, and it doesn't work out. And so, I'm I'm hoping that's the case. But uh, I'm penciling as lost now. And I'm tr- I'm trying to parse through like with the media projections of Louisville. Is it their really easy schedule, or is it that you think they're actually going to? It be is really an good? easy schedule. It's so it's easy. a real easy schedule. I know a lot of Virginia Tech Twitter, a lot of Virginia Tech Twitter was like real excited about Virginia Tech's draw on the schedule last year, which I mean, I think they should have been. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, I, I think the point I made and a lot of other people made is like tech wasn't really in a position to be like, yeah, this is an easy schedule when tech hasn't been playing good <laughs> yeah. football. Right. Um, Louisville has been playing decent football. Though, right. Right. So for them to say it's an easy schedule, I think is probably warranted. Yeah. And, um, I don't give a crap about if our schedule is easy or not. It's not as easy as Louisville's, but we need an easy schedule right now. We need to get we need to get wins on the board. For sure. Um, all right, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor and take a drink break. The Two Deep Hokies Under the Influence podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy app that allows you to make plays with our very own Hokies players. Yes, you can make plays with Allie Jennings. You'll be able to make plays with Bashal Tutin with Grant Wells or Chiron drones. Um, it's actually, it's a super cool site. It, it's, I don't want to say too much. I want you to go on to prize picks, download the app. You can use code memory lane, get a deposit match up to $100. That's memory lane, all one word. And you'll get that deposit match up to $100 prize picks, daily fantasy made easy for right now. I need Mike. I need to know what you're drinking. Buffalo trace, baby. <laughs> simple and to the point buffalo trace it, it we were just talking about louisville so that makes a lot of sense right yeah man <laughs> have you ever done the bourbon so, trail i i have not um it's on the it's on the list though for sure it's, uh took took about an hour and a half to get the kid to bed tonight so <laughs> had to get after it yeah I, I like it i was uh i was gonna text you earlier like oh make sure you have a beer or a drink and, and you had already taken care of it oh yeah i am drinking the lawson's sip of sunshine ipa this is this is a classic. It used to be a lot harder to get um, on the East Coast. You could usually find it, but now I feel like it's it's absolutely everywhere up and down the East Coast. And it's a just a good, solid, old school IPA. You can see the color. It is it's it's hazy, but it's not a New England hazy. It's that copper, old school IPA hazy. And it is even though it's a little bit heavier in terms of the taste and the flavor because there's no sugar and it's eight uh, percent. It goes down pretty easy, and it's one of those beers where. You have one, the second one's better, the third one's better, and then you should probably stop because because then you're going to have a really bad day the next day. But Lawson's yeah. Sip of Sunshine IPA, had it on the podcast years and years ago, but I wanted to bring it back for tonight's episode. It's it's not from the 76ers Rally Beer fridge. Because it, because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the famous Sixers Rally Beer, which yeah. did not work that night worked in game five and then never again <laughs> i think i t- i think i tweeted you i was like uh you were like i'm going to the i'm going to the rally beer fridge like let me find a good rally beer and i think i texted you something along along the lines of uh no you will not be doing yeah that. because mike <laughs> Go sit down. mike is a boston fan and i am I'm a, a sixers fan and and i thought harden had turned over a new leaf at one point in that series and then he was same old harden and uh and same in six and seven but it was a it went a little bit longer than I expected. The Celtics were not a good team, as we learned in the Heat series. They're annoying. Uh, they were and we'll see what happens with Porzingis, but we are getting just yeah. a little bit off track. Uh, yes. but we are speaking of Boston. So let's go to Chestnut Hill. We're gonna gonna talk a little Transition. bit about Boston College. This team, this is another I wish we were getting this team at home because they are just not a good football team. 11-11, cold weather up in Chestnut Hill. They're one of the few teams that is behind us in the FBI, FPI, behind us in the SP plus, um, just barely. And in Athlon, they were 80th again behind us, just barely. So yeah. one of the very few teams that fills that criteria of being ranked and projected below us. However, you look at their record projection, it's five and seven overall. 
And that's not because of ACC because they're projected to go one and seven in the ACC. And that's if they get one. Um, and I hope it's not this one. I will be like, that's the max. That is the absolute max for this team. It's not a good team. I mean, this was Virginia Tech's only ACC win last year. BC's <laughs> terrible. Like, Phil Dracovic leaves, right? He, he goes back home. He's, he's from Pittsburgh area, right? Pennsylvania. Go, goes to Pittsburgh, transfers there. Mm-hmm. BC has Emmett Moorhead as their projected starter. He looked okay last year when Dracovic was hurt. But BC's not a good football team. They averaged 2.1 yards per carry last year. That was worse than the P5 over the last eight years. Um, they allowed 46 sacks last year. That's worse than the P5. Christian Mahogany, who is an incredible offensive lineman, cannot stay on the field. He's back, by the way, and he'll be an all-conference lineman if he's healthy. He's really, really good. But they basically just had to supplement with the transfer portal around him. You know, he brought in two experienced linemen. Jeff Halfley did. Logan Taylor from UVA, right, an in-conference transfer. Uh, Kyle Hergel, I think, is the bigger get. He's from Texas State. The reason why I say he's a big, bigger get is he was an all-conference guard in the Sun Belt. So I think that's definitely going to help Boston College's offensive line. But yeah, this is not a very good football team. Um, offensively, they have a ton of question marks. Um, Pat Garwo is back at running back. He, he was fine last year. But again, you're playing behind a terrible offensive line. How much of that's on Garwo? I guess we'll find out if they're a lot better up front. So BC's got some questions. Um, they thought Phil Dracovic was the answer at quarterback. He obviously struggled with injuries and then just struggled in general when he was on the field yeah. the last couple seasons. And I don't know if Emmett Moorhead is going to be an upgrade over kind of what they've gotten at quarterback the last two years. I think the jury's still out on that a little bit, but Moorhead was fine last year when he played behind a terrible offensive line. Yeah. I mean, not a whole lot those quarterbacks could do. I did note on our last pod that Moorhead had a better QBR in about the same amount of snaps than Dracovic. And so, and they're both playing on the same team with say flowers. It's not like they didn't have a weapon. I know the offensive line cancels some of that out. Now, this is how bad BC was on offense last year. They were just as bad as us. (laughs) That's, that's where they were coming in at with Djokovic as a quarterback and with Zay flowers, someone way better than just about anyone on our roster. And so 122nd in both yards for play and scoring offense last year for BC. We were ahead of them in one, behind them in the other. So we were right on par with this team, but they just gave up so many sacks. Uh, Worst in the P5, uh, 129th in FBS. Dead last in FBF yards per attempt, 2.09 yards per rush, which was almost over half a yard behind the next team. So like they were last by so, so much. Um, their O probably won't be any better losing those two guys. Moorhead isn't great. They did bring in a pretty good wide receiver in Ryan O'Keefe coming from UCF. He was a very productive slot guy. He was a slot guy, right? Last two years, uh, over 2000 yards from scrimmage over his past two seasons. So, and they used him in the rush game at UCF as well. 13 total touchdowns. He's good. Garwo was back. You'll, you'll remember that running back name, but He's never put up the numbers. It's all, it hit 403 yards last year, but again, behind a bad offensive line. So you can factor that in. Mahogany will help, but you did say he he can't stay healthy. And no. even if he does, he is one man. And so this this offensive line is going to struggle despite you know whatever they did in the portal. You can't just portal yourself a better offensive line. Um, it, it's going to be a struggle for them on offense, which is good. This this game could be very, very ugly offensively up in Chestnut Hill this year, and that's that's because of how good this defense is. No, totally agree. And, I mean, I expect BC to be better offensively. I really do because it couldn't get much worse. That's true. For I mean, this this is courtesy of Brett Siancia from Pick 6 Previews, but BC had 
four rushing yards against Virginia Tech. They failed to cross midfield in the first half against Florida State. Lost to UConn. That was well-documented. 44 nothing lost to Notre Dame. Um, allowed 26 unanswered points um, in the fourth quarter to Syracuse. That's more of a mark on the defense. But it was it was rough last year for BC. I expect it to be a little bit better um, defensively. I mean, they returned their entire linebacking core, which was pretty solid. Halfley's a defensive-minded guy. Um, I also think BC's defense like wasn't done any favors last year by how bad the offense was. Like they were on the field a ton. I mean, does that sound completely familiar? hung out um, to dry? Yes. Right. So, I mean, I do think the defense will be better because I think the offense just naturally has to be a little bit better than it was a year ago. Um, but BC is another one of those teams, right? Where like, it's going to be a total mixed bag. You don't really know what you're going to get. I expect improvement. I think Jeff Halfley needs needs the improvement, right? He was kind of like the darling new coach in the ACC because the success they had, like when he got there right away, they've taken some steps back since then. Does it get a little bit better? I think it does. I think it's tough. The Tech has to go up the Chestnut Hill. BC and Virginia Tech always play each other tough. Um, but this is obviously a very winnable game for the Hokies, but getting it in November in Chestnut Hill is not an easy draw. And it, it's so far into the season. Who knows what these teams are going to look like by them injury-wise. Right. Like a couple injuries could derail either team. Um, yep. Their defense, just to go piggyback on what you said about the linebackers, De Palma, Arnold, and then the defensive end, I'm going to mess this up, but it's Izzy Araku. That guy is a freaking monster. He had 14 and a half tackles for loss last year. There's some scary dudes on this defense. It's only projected to be in like the middle of college football, 63rd, 60-ish, something like that. But it's going to provide a challenge to an offense in in tech that was just as bad as BC last year. And so by this point in the season, are Allie Jennings and Felton and Tucker Holloway and Baishal Tootin, are they showing that they can actually play? Is our offensive line stepping up? If it is, this could be a relatively easy win. However, going to Chestnut Hill, that doesn't often happen. Even when we've had really good teams, we go up there and we lay an egg. And so yeah. Pride's going to have to have the team focused. Um, but you can't – this is one of those games like you really can't lose this game. Like they are they're going to be bad. And, hey, things could change. I thought Duke was going to be bad last year. They were yeah. very good. And so maybe I'm wrong, but based on what – that was a first-year head coach. Halfley's been there. I never bought into the hype around him. Um, the defense will be better because you're right. That's his side of the ball. They promoted from within to replace the DCs, all this stuff. But this yep. is a this is a game you got to win. You got to go up there. You got to find a way to focus and win. Um, you, maybe you, you show the guys the tape of the last time we went to Chestnut Hill, that yeah. atrocity that got Fuente fired, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech will not make a bowl game if they lose this game to Boston College. Yeah. So I I mean, I know it's late in the year. It's November. Right. So maybe all is said and done right before then one way or another. But like if Tech's on the cusp and they lose this game to BC, like this is one of those games that decides whether or not you go to a bowl game. Yeah. Is Halfley is Halfley on the hot seat this year? I think so. I mean, really, the only good year he's had was COVID. And how much could you put into that in 2020? Um as we kind of get further and further removed from that weird COVID season, I've kind of just kind of looked back on it and you could have uh, a team that's performing really well, like BC did in 2020, where it's mm-hmm. like, you can't really put too much stock into that. And then a team that's really underperforming, you can't really put too much stock into that either, just because of kind of the situation you're in. But that was Halfley's only really good year. So, and there are plenty of questions. By the time this game rolls around, he could be, he's going to win some out of conference games because th- th- there's just not many 
good teams there, but he might not have an ACC win at this point. He, he probably won't like, who knows? He could very much, he could be fired. He could be one loss away from the hot seat. It's going to be interesting to see how this year plays out for, for them up there. Yeah. And he'd be a sought after DC, by the way, Probably, if, yeah. um, he, get, he gets canned. Cause I mean, we knew we did Ohio state. So I mean, he'd be sought after. All right, let's move to NC state. This is our last home game of the season. 11, 18, the Wolfpack, we we damn near beat this team last year, lost by one point in a game we had a, yeah. a nice lead. Um, they're projected pretty solid in the FPI, uh, number 36. SP Plus is of around 43 in Athlon, not too far behind at 46. Their record for this year, though, 7-5. to five. If you'll remember, last year, NC State was this dark horse ACC championship team. Yeah. And if you know NC State or you know the ACC, you knew that was never going to happen <laughs> because they are the yeah. the most like the hype never almost works out for them. All the years they gear up to be good aren't really good. They kind of have the good years in between. So maybe this is it'll go the other way and they'll have an eight, nine, ten win season this year. But they rarely ever win 10 games. And this year they're projected at seven and five. Uh, a decent amount of talent went out the door. Uh, one, just one guy drafted, but several good players uh, we're, we're off the team, got some undrafted free agent deals, but three all-conference players remain. That's Peyton Wilson, cornerback Aiden White, and defensive lineman Davin Van. You'll notice all three of those guys are on defense, and that is going to be the strength of this team. But let's talk about their quarterback first, Mike. It's a guy uh, we know well. Yeah, Brian Armstrong, right? So transfers out of UVA. Um, <laughs> I feel like UVA is is the only program kind of currently they could turn a guy in Brent Armstrong who we know is a good quarterback into what he was last year with like a negative touchdown interception ratio. I don't know what happened to him, man. That was crazy. It's like, I mean, I'll tell you what I think happened. Robert and I, yeah. right. The offensive coordinator at NC state, I think, you know, reuniting Brent Armstrong now with an eye, I think Armstrong is in for a bounce back year. Okay. I think NC state's offense is going to be really good, right? They lose Devin Carter, right? Transfer, um, Devin Leary. I'm sorry. Yes. He transfers to Kentucky. But you bring in I, you bring in Brandon Armstrong. I think the offense is going to be pretty, pretty good. Um, Tim Beck leaves as the OC, goes to Coastal Carolina, take the head coaching job um, for Jamie Chadwell. But th- I mean, this is an upgrade, in my opinion, at offense coordinator. I think it's an upgrade at quarterback because I, I think just you have the existing fit there, you have the history. Um, you had a very bizarre think- situation with both Brandon Armstrong and Devin Leary because last year we expected those two guys to to be at NC state and be at UVA and be awesome. Yeah. They were two of the best returning quarterbacks in the league. Leary may be the best. Um, and Leary was a dud up until he got hurt. He was a complete dud yeah. Armstrong, another dud. And you've got this experiment now going on where you get this guy reunited with Robert and I, you get Jerkovich reunited with Kurt Signetti at Pitt. Like, yeah. are these guys going to find their old form or did they just get worse? Did they lose it mentally? And but Armstrong was incredible two years ago with an eye. I mean, 156 passer rating, 23rd QBR nationally, like a top 25 quarterback, 31 touchdowns, just 10 picks, and another nine yards rushing. That's one thing that I kind of forget about sometimes is how much Armstrong can run and how good he is at it. Yeah. And so that that's something that really scares me. And I agree with you. Like you look at they don't have a ton on the outside, less than they've had in recent years in NC State. Yeah, but enough if he is the guy. Jordan Houston's a solid back. Uh, the tight end Penix is back. 
Uh, Keon Lassane is a pretty good runner, uh, wide receiver. So not, it's not, you know, the, the guys they lost in the draft and all, but, and they did lose KGB or what was the running back they just lost to uh, another program? Uh, semi Cargan oh, Bay or whatever yes, it was. Yes, yeah. 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 Tough, tough name. But if Armstrong is the guy he was two years ago, I agree mm-hmm. with you. It's going to be a very tough offense and better than the 67th projected offense by the SP plus much better. Yeah, and, and they lose some guys on the offensive line, right? They lose two all ACC guys. Grant Gibson is gone at center. Uh, Chandler Savala gone at guard. So, I mean, they got to replace some guys up front. But they do have some experience coming back there, too. It's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag up front. There are some question marks at receiver. But I think Brian Armstrong's ability to create outside the pocket is going to be crucial. And I think Virginia Tech fans saw firsthand what a mobile quarterback can do behind you know, an offensive line that's a little banged up. NC State went into that game last year against Virginia Tech, a little bit banged up up front. MJ Morris came into the game, right, um, down 21-3 and kind of led this comeback. Now MJ Morris takes a back seat, and he was, a you know, a four-star quarterback for NC State, thought to be the heir apparent, and then all hell breaks loose. You bring in an eye, you bring in Brian Armstrong, MJ Morris will sit for another year in all likelihood. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they got guys to replace on the outside. Um, Devin Carter, who I mistakenly said a couple minutes ago, he leaves for West Virginia. Top <laughs> slot receiver Thayer Thomas is gone as well. Um, he was a five-year starter for them. So they, they have some question marks on offense, but I think they'll be a more consistent offense this year, despite some of the questions that they have on the outside. I think they'll kind of figure those things out. Yeah, they did. They just didn't live up to the hype on offense last year. And I think mm-hmm. with an eye at the helm, it will be a much smoother running offense this year. As far as defense goes, they were great. I mean, last year they were awesome. 22nd nationally in yep. yards per play. Uh, they're projected to have the number 21 unit this year, according to SP+. I still think it's going to take a step back because I think the losing Drake Thomas in particular is just going to have a massive effect on this defense. Isaiah Moore, great player as well, but Thomas was was outrageously good. They lost five of their top six tacklers in addition to him. He had 23 hurries. In addition to all the production that he had, he had 23 hurries, which is absolutely preposterous. Constantly putting pressure on the other quarterback. So will this defense with just Peyton Wilson returning from those, they always had those three good linebackers for like four years straight. Um, Peyton Wilson's back, but the other two guys, his buddies are gone. So I think it's going to be a big change for this team. I mean, seven of their 11 starters are gone, right? Several of them multi-year starters. So, I mean, that's crucial off of its of defense that was really, really good last year. I mean, you, you mentioned how highly they were ranked in SP+. Really solid unit. Um, I think they're definitely going to get worse defensively because, I, you know, when you lose that many starters, I think it's only natural you get a little bit worse. But I think they do get a little bit better offensively to maybe offset a little bit. Uh, but I yeah, think what they're looking at with the defense was that Van Clark and Jackson on the line are back. And so yeah. they, they're projecting the linebackers to drop, but the line is going to be very good. Like, this is one of those yes. defensive lines that I'm terrified of. Well, and, you know, I think you look at it from a matchup standpoint, right, as it pertains to Virginia Tech, like the Hokies with inexperience on the offensive line and some iffiness up front. This is not a game that you necessarily feel great about, right? With the NC State defensive line, that's clearly their strength. Like, those are where the guys are returning. That's where you have the talent, right, if you're looking at NC State. So not the greatest matchup up front for Virginia Tech in this game as it pertains to the offensive line against the experienced defensive line. And, you know, certainly a linebacker group that 
you know, you lose a guy like Drake Thomas, but Peyton Wilson comes back, right? So it's not like you're going to get much of a break. I mean, NC State was so solid at linebacker this year. Are they, or last year, are they going to be as good this year? Probably not. Um, but it's not exactly, you're not exactly getting a breather in late November. Yeah. They, I mean, the key pieces, what I'm thinking about this game is their line is good and their corners are just like, they have two corners that are sensational. Um, yep. And is it Battle and White or something like that? That, yeah, they, those guys are really good. So passing, there's going to be pressure on the QB. <laughs> the, you know, Allie Jennings could, you know, be in hell. Like it, it could be a long night. We have to get very creative and clever in the run game in this game. Uh, might be a big read option game for the quarterback. I know that's something that Bowen wants to do more of this year is run the QB. So, yep. and late in the year, I mean, we might, this could be drones versus MJ Morris. Like you, yeah. you really don't know what you're going to see. <laughs> it really could be. But you've got both of our quarterbacks, I think are capable runners. I think that's going to be key in this game. Um, if, if Armstrong's having a lights out year, it could be a long night, but I, yeah. I, I kind of think, I kind of think like uh, whether it's injuries or wear and tear or whatever, like NC state, like they lost enough that I don't think they're going to be able to play at a super high level all year long. And so coming into Blacksburg, cold weather, I, I it's one of those senior day. Yeah, it's, it's exactly senior day. It's going to be a winnable matchup at the time. Like, I don't think the spread is going to be more than eight points. Like, I think it's going to be somewhere in like, you know, low, Six to nine, somewhere in there. I'm glad you brought up Battle and White for NC State at corner because, I mean, those are two all-conference type corners, right? So the question in late November is, what does Virginia Tech's passing game look like? Whether it's Kyron Jones or Grant Wells, like, what does the passing game look like in late November? Because it's going to have to be decent because you're not going to be able to throw the ball much at all given NC State's really good defensive line and two all-conference type corners not going to be the best matchup. You're going to have to run the ball really well, um, regardless of what the passing game looks like. But if the passing game is not looking great, man, I, I do not love Virginia Tech's chances in this no. game offensively. No, I totally agree with you on that one. We're on the same page there. We have one more game to go over, and it is the trip to Virginia. And this is a game we didn't get to play last year due to the tragedy that happened. And Virginia actually missed two games because of that. So they only had a three and seven record last year. We know they weren't a good football team, but not getting that matchup versus Tony Elliott last year makes this game much harder to kind of predict and project going into this year. Cause we haven't seen them yet. He he's getting a lot of crap online from the fan. The UVA fans are kind of mad at Elliott right now because they're not recruiting well. Um, they didn't do well on the field and the hires have been a little uninspiring in terms of the position coaches and people are mad. Their only th- wins last year were Richmond ODU, a team we couldn't beat and Georgia tech, another team we lost to by one. They start their season this year going Tennessee, JMU, Maryland, and NC state. That, that is a quick Owen four, man. I mean, That's maybe JMU, yeah. they could squeak yeah. out. Like, I don't know. JMU is a good program. Oh no, man. I think it's 0 four. <laughs> uh, what are your uh, thoughts on, on Tony Elliott and just uh, his, his offensive mind <laughs> coming to UVA and what they're going to put on the field this year offensively? I swear, I swear to God, I'm not trolling. Like it's not good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not good. Kind of, going back to his Clemson days, right? His last couple of years of Clemson, like you kind of see like the offense was regressing a little bit 
under, you know, you have a generational quarterback in Trevor Lawrence and his last year there, like he kind of looked like a shell of himself. Mm -hmm. He didn't really look like the guy. Right. And you're like, man, this is, this is a little odd because this guy is like a Heisman trophy candidate quarterback. He's won you a national championship. Like, why does he look like a shell of himself? Well, Tony Elliott kind of shot himself in the foot, right? Didn't he really did not the have a out around him. great. I mean, his OC years, the last couple of years, and lots of people talked about this. It was Dan Orlovsky. Every single analyst in college football was like, something's not right about that Clemson offense. Like, it's just not a good offense. And I am so curious as to how Clemson looks this year under new direction. Yeah. But yeah. for what's going on at UVA, like I love it. Maybe he's a good maybe Tony Elliott will be a good head coach, but I do not think he is a capable offensive coordinator. It's not good. Um and, and kind of now transitioning from Elliott at Clemson to Elliott at UVA, like he's not recruiting well. The coaching staff really didn't make a whole lot of sense. The selection of quarterback, like they don't really have much to choose from, right? Like you lose you lose Brian Armstrong, like he transfers out, and now you're really trying to figure out if it's Jay Wolfolk, who was the he was the backup to Armstrong last year, um, and then you have an FCS transfer and Tony Musket. Like those are your he was a three year starter at Monmouth. He was a decent quarterback there, obviously. He was a sophomore All American there, but like those are your options, and obviously it's a clear difference in the FCS level um, to then jumping up into the ACC. UVA is in a really tough spot here and they weren't great last year. Obviously the, the end of the year, everything kind of went sideways with the tragedy. Um, But now like coming back and just kind of looking at their roster, they have, you you can't really feel great about things. If you're UVA, I mean, I think they're the clear, in my opinion, they're the clear worst team in the ACC. And I think they're like a handful of candidates. I, I think if things go sideways for Virginia tech, like they could be a candidate to be one of the worst teams in the ACC. Right. It's possible have to go kind of sideways. It's, it's certainly possible, but like on paper, I think UVA going into the year is like far and away the worst team in the ACC. They don't know what they're doing at quarterback. They don't really know what they're doing at offensive line. Um, they have holes at receiver with Dontavian Wicks gone and Billy Kemp transferring out. Like they got questions Keaton everywhere. Thompson. Keaton Thompson's gone. Like they have all sorts of questions on offense. You don't know what you got a quarterback at the line at skill positions defensively. You weren't really that good to begin with. Um, this is, this is a bad team. Yeah. It's this another is a team that I don't see them making a bowl game. It's another offensive line in the ACC that is just so piss poor. And they brought, they try to bring in a couple guys. They got one starter back from already a terrible offensive line, which is projected to be the worst offensive line in the ACC, according to Athlon. Um, and this is with those guys graduating and leaving, you mentioned like that was the last of the Mendenhall guys, right? Like we're kind of dealing with mostly new guys at this point. Um, and it, how much of an indictment is it that Brendan Armstrong, one of the leading passers in UVA history, if not the leading passer decides he's going to go in conference and transfer like that is, it's, it's just such a bad look. It is such a yeah. for an offensive head coach. It's such a bad look, and so that's that's kind of all you need to tell me. And maybe Musket's decent. Um, I kind of think we'll be seeing Jay Wolfork by the time this game rolls around because although Musket had some success at Monmouth, like he, it's, Monmouth. It's, it's Monmouth, and he can run a little bit, but like it's we'll just see. 
if they they're my thing, my thought with UVA is they're going to be so up shit's Creek as, as the season goes on yeah. that they're going to want to maybe turn towards the future. That that's kind of where I'm coming in with the wolf work thing. And, and who knows if he'll still be there in a year either, because guys just hit the transfer portals as soon as anything goes wrong. So um, right. it's going to be a bad offense. And it's interesting because they were 103rd in yards per play last year, but 126th in scoring, which means yes, they had one of the worst red zone offenses in the country last year. Um, so, and that's one of those things where it's like an indicator, like, oh, if your offense, maybe you were batting yards per play, but your scoring offense was good. It's like, okay, we can build off of that. Maybe we, we figured out a way to score when we had to. This is the exact opposite. It's not a good look for UVA or Tony Elliott going into this year. Their defense is so much better than their offense. It's it's kind of shocking how much better it is. 24th yep. in the SP plus after spring. That's the projection right now. They run a 4-2-5. And that's with losing guys like Cypress in the in the portal. And they lost another um another key guy Nick in the Jackson. portal. Yeah, Nick Jackson. Yeah, Nick Jackson. One of their, yeah. their top tackler from last year, I think. Um, but they're still they bring back six starters. The entire D line is back. So that's kind of they're they're expecting a strength to be on that D line with Falmau and Butler and Carter. Uh Chico Bennett, a, a guy that plays bandit and is is could be ready for a breakout year, seven sacks last year, uh, all seniors, right? So this, the D line is going to be good. Uh, that's going to be their chance. They're playing at home. They got this D line, a couple guys in the back and safety that are good in Sanker and Clary, but, um, with Jackson gone, Cypress gone, missing a few other starters, we're going to be able to score some points. And I don't think UVA is going to be able to put much up on us. So how much can you score? Can you put up the 17 to 20 points you got to do to win the game? Yeah, that's the question. Um, and yeah, I mean, UVA's defense was fine a year ago, I, even a little bit above average, right? You lose some of your top guys, but I think they still got a, a decent defense returning. I think UVA will be fine on that side of the ball, but I, I think their offense is just going to be so bad that it really just makes you wonder what the actual ceiling is with this team. You take a look at the schedule. I mean, we mentioned kind of the 0-4 non-conference, or I guess NC State. So 1-3, right, start to the year. Um, at in, best. When looking at, like, at best, right, but probably 0-4. Um, you're on the road at Maryland, which you're probably going to lose that game. JMU, you're at home at least, but you're probably going to lose that game. So 1-3 at best, probably 0-4. And I mean, they, they have William and Mary weirdly in like beginning of October. That's probably their easiest game that, of the year. That'll, that'll bring <sighs> cool off the fans just a little bit, maybe. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, at BC, that's probably a that a, is going a to be game. What do you what do they call that on a split zone duo? Um, hell game or like, a, I don't know. It's one of the it's one of those sweated out games for both coaches. Like they both yeah. need that win so bad. Yeah. Um it's a cover your eyes type game for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I mean, B- BC and William and Mary, uh, those are two winnable games and you kind of look further down the schedule. Like they, they got Georgia tech at home. So like, maybe you look at that game as a potential game they could win, but Georgia tech is certainly going to be better. I-, I think this is a three and nine type football team. I think they're a bottom feeder in the ACC. Um, I think they'd be lucky to get one conference win. 
I think it's kind of them and them and BC are kind of the two teams to watch in terms of like the basement teams in the ACC. I know Virginia Tech hasn't been getting a lot of love like media wise, but um, I think Virginia Tech could be better than both BC and UVA at least. Yeah. And Georgia Tech is the other team that's kind of in that tier with us. Like, and yeah. we don't play them this year. And what's what I don't like about this schedule is that we got to go to UVA and to BC, the two worst teams in the mm-hmm. ACC on our schedule. We got to go on the road. Yeah. However, we call it Lane Stadium North for a reason. Yeah. Based on the season UVA is about to have, the Hokies are going to be just as many as the Cavaliers in the, on that day in that stadium. So I'm not really worried about the home field advantage. We should go up there. And as long as our season hasn't come completely off the tracks, we'll go up there and we'll win the game. I, I Because re- Pry you know how much he's going to focus on on these guys winning this game. Like he knows how important it is. It'll it it'll be reminiscent of the Liberty game last year and how we finished our season at an in-state team on the road and came up with a win. I think we're going to end up with a win in UVA this this year. It, it's the most winnable game on the schedule. Um and it's a schedule that features some weird games like you go to Marshall you're at home against Old Dominion which home against You think ODU you has think the UVA game bad, is but... more winnable than ODU? I do. <laughs> I love it. I, I do. love it. <laughs> I do. Um, I mean, ODU. I mean, ODU at home is a little bit different. Like going on the road, yes. ODU was like real weird last year. A lot of weird. stuff I don't ever want to play o- at ODU ever again. I know it's probably on the schedule in the future. I, I don't want to yeah. ever do it again. <laughs> I know. I know Virginia Tech. I, the post game win expectancy. I'd have to go back and look at for Bill Connolly. But like, I know Virginia Tech's post game win expectancy was like oh, it was through the roof. Uh, all like through the roof. So like tech like nine times out of ten tech wins that game but like i would love nothing more than to never play there ever again no it's it you are asking for trouble every single and putting your head in the lion's mouth pun intended because the monarchs have that lion on on their logo but uh all right mike we covered all the teams i want i want you to give me your record for these six games and then i want you to give me your record prediction for the season sure um so <laughs> I've mentioned this a couple times. I've alluded to it tonight because I think we've covered like these six teams in particular in the ACC, the Virginia Tech's going to be playing against. I think maybe with the exception of NC state, like there's, there's more questions than answers. I think you're kind of up against it, right. When looking at the entire ACC top to bottom outside Florida state and Clemson, like to find like the consistency on both sides of the football, you're going to be hard pressed. I think home against Syracuse is a game that, you know, we mentioned this earlier off the top, like if Virginia Tech wants to make a bowl game, you have to win that game because I think there are a lot of questions there. Wake Forest replacing a quarterback. They're replacing a couple of guys at the skill positions. Offensive line is not very good. Like you have those two home games sandwiched um, around a bye week. So I think Virginia Tech has a good chance to split there. Um, I, I think one and one there, I think for being objective is probably pretty reasonable. I think Virginia Tech can win both mm-hmm. i think if they want to go like seven and five they probably should win both of those games but I, I think more realistically it's probably one and one there um at louisville i think it's a loss mm-hmm. really tough to go on the road there and win um at bc i think it's very winnable um even though you're going to chestnut hill i think it'll be a tougher game but you know the they're gonna make that paid. their red bandana game like we of just, uh, they always, <laughs> even two years ago when Jerkovic wasn't supposed to play, 
all of a sudden yeah. he was playing and it was their second red bandana game of the year. So <laughs> I'm yeah. just ready for a yeah. worst case scenario. Uh, yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not feeling good about the BC game, but I think that's a game tech could win. NC State, I think NC State's better. So even though you get them in Blacksburg, and it's probably a better setup. Like we're talking about the BC game where I think Tech's a better team, but they're going on the road. NC State, you get at home, but I think they're better. I think you probably split those two games, right? And then UVA at the end of the year, I think is a win. So when looking at it, I think it's a, I think it's a three and three slate, which could get you to bowl eligibility, which might contradict what I'm about to say from a win-loss standpoint. But I think Virginia Tech goes five and seven. The biggest question marks for me for Virginia Tech are the offensive line and the quarterback. I'm personally not feeling as good about quarterback as some people are coming out of spring game. Grant Wells looked great, but with spring game, um, Kyron Drones is a giant unknown. Yeah, And this reminds me a lot of the quarterback battle that we saw between Ryan Willis and then Hendon Hooker, right? Where Willis was a starter and then Tech really, you know, their season turned around when they put Hendon Hooker in. There are a lot of parallels here when you look at that, right? Because Hendon Hooker was this giant unknown, and he was kind of similar. He was like that redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, right? The Kyron Drones is, and hadn't had a lot of experience, but there was raw talent there. And I think Drones has an opportunity to have an impact similar to how Hendon Hooker had. And I promised myself at the time, I, you know, kind of looking back on it, I wouldn't make the same mistake again. But I was like, man, I, I really feel like Willis is the guy. I feel like Willis is the guy. And then, you know, you see Hooker come in, Tech went six out of seven or whatever it was and looked a lot better. Yeah. Um, I think there might be a similar trajectory here because, like, you look at Wells, he's turnover prone, but he's a more experienced guy. I think he starts at quarterback, at least to begin the year. I think we're going to see both guys. But I don't feel great about quarterback. Um, I think it will be better because the skill position talent around whoever the quarterback's going to be is going to be better. But the unknowns on the offensive line, the unknowns at quarterback, I think the defense will be good. But I think it amounts to a team that is going to be hanging around bowl eligibility. And I I, I really think the important thing for Brent Pry, I'm hedging saying five and seven. I, I hope it's better. Um, but I'm hedging because I look at the non-conference schedule and I really can't get a good gauge on it, Pete. It's so really hard, can't. dude. It, that is a it's weird, tough. it's such a weird heart with that road game at, at, at Marshall, which I think we talked about on our last one, that it's, it's kind of a schedule loss. You're coming off two straight P5 games. And even if you yeah. win them both, Purdue at home and, and Rutgers on the road, going to Marshall is a nightmare. That's a freaking nightmare. Yeah. That's their Super Bowl. And so, I, and I had not thought about that willis and hooker parallel but i do agree with you that what do you think the reason that ali jennings came to virginia tech was i don't think it was to play with grant wells i think he right. came that was after we got drones and drones is one of those guys if things weren't go, aren't going perfect for wells mm-hmm. after a couple of weeks mm-hmm. yep. we see drones the team might rally around him and we might get that whole same kind of rally that hooker witness because I was, I'm not saying I didn't like hooker, but I just felt like, all right, Willis sucks. Hooker's not going to be any better because this team sucks. Well, I was wrong because the whole team right, right, right. believed Me in too. hooker and I didn't know Me that. Too. And it, it changed the whole season changed. Um, hope we don't have to go there. I hope whoever we start initially is great yeah. and it just keeps going. But yeah. did I, do you have, are you done or do you want me to give me my, are you good? The the only thing the only thing I just wanted to mention is like 
the Adam Brenneman podcast that we mentioned at the very very beginning of this podcast tonight, um, when he talked to Pry, Pry said one of the pillars of his program was going to be a dynamic quarterback, right? A really good defense. We're going to run the football. We're going to have a dynamic quarterback. Yep. Your dynamic quarterback might be Kyron Drones. Mm-hmm. So if you think you have that guy, start him. Right. And I'll start pull him. from another podcast because Billy and Pat just had Fontel Mines on mm-hmm. yesterday. And mm-hmm. he said, when he was asking, like, who are the freaks on the team? He said, Kyron Drones. I'm like, okay. Yeah. That's one of our wide receiver coaches telling me that the quarterback we just brought in is a freak of nature athletically. Yep. Okay. I could see him getting in there. <laughs> it's it's telling. I, they released the names for, for ACC Media Day. Yeah. It's telling that they didn't send Grant Wells. Oh, you're buying into that and conspiracy? <laughs> I don't I don't want to. Well, I, I here, look. I'm just teasing. I'm you, not man. reading. I'm reading. Well, I'm reading into it kind of the opposite way. Like a lot of people on Twitter were like, oh, that means that like Kyron Jones is the starter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm. Maybe not, but maybe Pry doesn't want to reveal his hand, right? He doesn't want to like send a negative message to drones. He doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want. That's to more of what it is one. for sure. I think that's more of what it is, right? And you got other guys that are, you know, you know, are going to be entrenched as starters that are veterans that are going to be able to, you know, with Fuga and Gallo, and of course Valley Jennings transferring in. You know, they're going to play major roles. Um, but I think the quarterback position is wide open. Um, I think Wells probably starts the season as a starter, but I think first sign of trouble. Pry won't hesitate because he's in the middle of a rebuild. That that's the one thing that's different from the comparison between Willis and Hooker. Like Fuente had to turn to Hooker, yeah, because he was coming off the bad 2018 and all the negative press. Like he had to turn to Hooker, and maybe he waited a little too long to do that. But like you saw the, how the team rallied and how he kind of shot himself in the foot going into 20 with uh, the whole Braxton Burmeister thing. But like Pry's not going to be afraid to do that because there are no expectations this year. Once again, like. I think the fan base expects the team to be better, but like naturally there are no expectations around this team None, this year. Yeah. There's no pressure, right? So he can go ahead and play Kyron drones. The fan base will love it. It's going to be a favorable move because he transferred in for a reason. Allie Jennings. I think that was a great point. You just made Pete like Allie Jennings transferring in. Like there's a reason he came in and I'm not sure it's to play with Grant Wells. I think it's to play with a guy like Kyron drones at the P five level. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. And the non-conference schedule, like September is going to tell us a lot. I think if Virginia Tech wants to win a bowl game, like wants to make a bowl game, I, I think they got to go three and one in September. Um, I think it's doable, but I think it's a tougher slate than people think. Um, you you guys breaking it down with Sam last week, like nobody has any idea, but like the Purdue game is going to be, it's a first year head coach, but the Purdue game is going to be hard. Like, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be tough. I know it's at home. I know it's a first year head coach with Walters. Like things are different, but like, it's still Purdue. It's a Big Ten program. It's going to be hard. At Rutgers, it's going to be hard. Like, Shiano has those guys well coached. Rutgers is kind of um, on the ascent again as far as, like, being a competitive Big Ten team. Like, not – they're not great. They're not Michigan. And they play Ohio good State. defense, which is going to be they hard for us. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're at home. That's going to be hard. At Marshall is almost like a schedule loss, like you mentioned. That sucks. Like, that. that's a really tough time to get Marshall. Like, that's going to be really hard. Then you come home and you play Pittsburgh, which of course we didn't break down Pittsburgh tonight, Pete, but like Pittsburgh that, is going to be really annoying. Does it ever like, go great? Like, no. Aside from somehow we beat them 28, nothing when we were rolling a couple years ago, but that is the exception yeah. to the exception <laughs> in the rain. Yeah. Like it goes better. At, it goes better at home than on the road. I'll, I'll grant you that. But like 
Pitt's going to be annoying. And then you go on the road to Florida State, and then you break down the six games we just talked about tonight. Like, it's a toss-up schedule. And it's an easy schedule if Virginia Tech was rolling and was good. But we're not rolling, and we're not good. We're rolling on the recruiting trail, and I think we're on the comeback. But this is going to be tough, Pete. Like, I would, you know, I think I Tech can say? make a bowl game, but it's going to be tough. I, the one thing you said about ACC media days with the three guys they picked, I'm actually like stoked they picked Allie Jennings. Like that, that to me, like we need a playmaker so bad, and they're deciding to send him to ACC media because he didn't have a great spring game, and that was the one right. thing about the spring game that we saw that I was pretty disappointed in is like, he had some drops. He might've even caused an interception with one of his drops, but they, he's projected all ACC and they're sending him to ACC media days. Like, okay, this guy might be the stud that we're hoping he will be. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to quarterback either. I thought for sure it was Wells about a month ago. And now like, I just don't know after the last, (laughs) the last couple weeks, but for my record, the last six games, I'm going to say three and three, and I'm going to say that yep. would be awesome because that means yeah. you beat Q's, you beat BC and you probably beat UVA or right. pro- I should say probably beat BC and you beat UVA. Um, yeah. However, I said, <laughs> this is the tough part about this. I hate picking individual games because you BC beat Louisville last year. Like you never know <laughs> when these things are going to go the other way. And so I picked four and two last week and I picked three and three this week. So that means seven wins. But I'm I'm sticking with six and six. That is my record. So I don't know where the losses are coming from, but we're going six yeah. and six, and I'm not going to seven and five. I can't do it. This team has too many questions. The offensive line, the quarterback, the two of the most critical positions. Um, mm-hmm. I can't go seven and five. But for whatever yeah. reason, I'm looking at these six games right now, and I, I gotta say three and three. <laughs> and it's lying season, Pete. So, you know, like <laughs> exactly. Tech's been Tech's been compiling some wins here oh, by on the, the time, trail. By the time August 25th rolls around, it's going to be like nine, nine and uh, three. You know, like it's just oh, going to keep going up and up. <laughs> it's as fans keep seeing guys come in, right? Like Tech's winning these recruiting battles against these bigger schools. Everybody's like, "Yeah, Tech's going to be good this year." Yes. And then you have to remind them, like these guys, Tech's, Tech's bringing in like recruiting, like they're not going to pay dividends to like two or three years yeah, down the like, road. So like, why is this a- current team? <laughs> A little different. Why is a guy that's coming in at 24 affecting my mentality for right now? <laughs> right. But that's right. just kind of how it goes. Um, it's optimism. But we got we got lots of content coming. I know you're gonna be you're gonna be key in that, uh, especially when you get to basketball season, which I'm also pumped about. But with regard to your SI stuff and uh, uh, the basketball conference podcast, the Hokie Hangover podcast coming back. I promise, Hokie Hangover. So yeah, back. it's going to be you, Ricky, and Alex. Are you going to be doing weekly, biweekly? What's your schedule going to be like in the fall? Yeah. So uh, last year was a little weird because I had a kid. Um, so th- things Congrats. went a little sideways. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. For first first child, he just turned a year old uh, about a month ago. Um, things were a little sideways. I was a new dad. Uh, we were recording basically once a week, but we have been doing like twice a week for five years or so. Okay. Um, generally you'll see preview recap twice a week. Uh, we're hoping to get back on that track this year. Now that, uh, things are a little bit easier, Pete, I like as it. you know, once you, once you settle into things as a, as a dad, it's, it gets a little easier. I, I know only from the five nieces and nephews I have yes. <laughs> and from Robbie, yes. but, but yes, Robbie. yes uh, Robbie. I've heard it's very challenging in that first year. So I'm, yes. I'm happy that you're over the hump and twice a week is tough, man. We, me and Robbie have always stuck to the once a week thing, but uh, this year we're going to try to get a little bit more content out there too, but it's, 
you know, Billy and Pat might have put out like five podcasts this past week. I don't know how they did that. <laughs> like, I don't know yeah, how that I, happened. <laughs> it, shit, I mean, shit changes once you. Uh, you once I you mean, you used to be a dynamo too, man. You were you were cranking articles <laughs> and podcasts out left and right. Uh, maybe you'll get back to that you this gotta, year because you got like three podcasts and the SI job. And, yeah, you gotta you gotta trim somewhere, right? Um, and weren't you writing you like a, a for a San Antonio Spurs blog at some point? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. It's on my my long my long list of items I randomly wrote about the San Antonio That's Spurs. That's so crazy, here. man. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing a little bit of everything. I love it. Uh, well, Mike, thank you for coming on. Um, you can find him. Is it at Mike McDaniel SI? Yep. On Twitter, make sure you follow Mike. Make sure you follow the Sons of Saturday podcast feed. You'll get all of Pat Billy's stuff, and then you're going to get Sam stuff and Mike stuff two great guests these past two weeks. And like I said earlier, subscribe to the YouTube page. You'll be able to see me and Mike on YouTube. You'll be able to see me and Robbie on YouTube all season. And like I said, we have some cool stuff coming in that regard as well. Hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT and 2DeepVT at gmail.com if you want to email us anything. Mike, thanks one more time. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.